Hello, this is Karen Motokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. I believe there are many ways to live life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. There, I believe that we can learn from others to learn what is possible for ourselves. There are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who have acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibilities. Each week I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and their own uncertainty. Yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really, ask yourself that. Join me each week for inspiration, empowerment, and entertainment. And you can connect with me at my website at www.howshereallydoesit.com and sign up for my weekly newsletter. There are also links to Facebook and Twitter. And um, I love to hear emails from my listeners. All live shows are rebroadcast on the website and are also available from iTunes. Ariane de Bonvoisin is the chief change optimist and founder of First30Days.com. And she's also the author of The First 30 Days, Your Guide to Any Change. Ariane's been on the show before. We've talked about change in her own journey from being a very successful um, in the corporate world. She's as a Stanford MBA grad, and she ran a $500 million digital media venture fund prior to starting First 30 Days. And we talked about her leap from the corporate structure to entrepreneurship. And today we're going to discuss one spiritual path how to live in the real world, and how she has done this on her own path. Ariane, hello and welcome back. Thank you, Corinne. It's lovely to be back on your show. It's great to have you back. Um, so, Ariane, in your sound's a little dim over there, so if you could speak a little louder. But um, let's talk about, so the first 30 days, and what have you been doing the last two years since we've had you? So the first 30 days was a website that I started um, to help people through all types of life changes. So it covers the 60 most common changes from career changes, relationship changes, health changes, um, the hardest changes we might go through, and also the changes that we most dream of doing. And I just well, I wanted to create a site where people felt they weren't alone. Other people are going through this change. There's experts. There's ways of making that change easier. And then I went ahead and pursued a bit more of a real passion, which is to write. And I wrote a book. Um, that really covers those nine principles of change that I found from interviewing thousands of people who are going through change, that there really are ways to make change easier. So that's in the book. And what I found personally was it was also time for me to sort of go, okay, well, is is this thing um, that I'm doing really what's still most inspiring to me? I think a lot of the times we sort of go, I've started this, I've done this, I've got to keep doing this now forever. And so I found a way really to um, get few people on the team to really be running that website and that company and I check in obviously on a daily basis but I took the last year and a half two years to really do what I felt was next for me which was to write my next book which I'm sure we'll talk about and to also travel and to um, I guess heal you know we're always in a place of healing something Um, I don't think we're ever fully fully baked 
to let go of some things, to question some things about life, to to just go a bit deeper within myself. Because I know that the more work I do on myself, the more that's what I can bring out in the world, whether it's through books, through teachings, through shows like your own. Um, in the last two years, I've been to about 25 countries and, you know, just felt, I guess, part of this global humanity and global world and realized in some ways how much more similar we all are than different and that whatever issues, problems, whatever our mind is feeding us is actually probably quite similar to what someone else is feeling thousands of miles away. Um, so it's been, it's been a terrific adventure, highs and lows, you know, fears and a lot of faith along the way. I think I've, I think I've asked you this before. Um, you know, are you good with change? Um, you know what, I believe that in some ways my whole life was preparing me to be good at change. I mean, I was born in the United States. My parents are um, European, and I grew up in six different countries um, before the age of 18. So I think that sort of prepares you, whether it's through new schools, through new languages, new cultures, new religions, new holidays, new ways of really seeing everything. I guess the number one thing that I, was, I had to get good at to survive was change. And... I guess after I did my little stint in the corporate world and still stint in being very conventional in sort of how I thought my life needed to be and what success meant, I sort of pulled myself out and go, you know, well, what do I really know? What am I really good at? Or what questions do I really have? And this, this change question kept on coming back for me because everyone that's around you is either struggling with a life change, they're either thinking about a life change, or they're helping someone with a life change. And so I think personally I was prepared for that, and it's just been a fascinating journey of meeting so many people and asking them, you know, what change are you going through? What's, what's in the way? Um, you know, what's, what's making it harder? Or what, what's helping you get through it? Um, so I, I would say that I, I am good at change because I, I embrace it, I allow it, I don't fight it, I don't resist it, and I know that no matter what, you can't fight reality and that life, life is change. So even just the awareness, it doesn't mean I'm not going to have a hard time through it, but the awareness that change actually is just a part of, a part of life and there are ways to make it easier, um, I think has been just very helpful for me. And now that you've been, we, one of the things we wanted to talk about was, you know, living a spiritual way in the real world. And a lot of times people go, well, that would be great, but I have the realities of my life. What do you say about that? You know, I, I in no way would disagree. I think everyone, you know, has been given, you know, you can call it a, the karma that they've been given, the genetics they've been given, the life that they've been given. But I do think where we're all equal is we all have a heart that can guide the way, intuition that can guide the way. And those things have nothing to do with degrees or money or big jobs or who you know. Um, I think in some ways, you know, God, grace, universe, life, whatever, whatever you want to call it, actually made it quite fair because anyone you meet, you can tell if whether it's a decision or a job or a relationship or a choice, whether it turns the heart on or whether it makes you shut down, whether they feel inspired about their life and their choices or whether they don't. Um, whether their intuition is screaming at them every morning, saying, you know, as it was for me, saying, you're in the wrong job, mm -hmm. you're sleeping with the wrong guy. And I think, you know, what makes us different is our ability to listen to that and our ability to either follow the heart, follow the inspiration, follow the intuition, no matter how scary it is, 
or to follow the fear and follow this what the apparent safety even though there's nothing safe about staying in you know a, a type of life that you really don't want to be in so i would say you know being responsible starts with you being responsible to yourself because everyone around you whether you're married whether it's your kids whether it's it's the people you work with you are an example for or you're a warning for so the biggest responsibility you have is to yourself because you're you're you are you are impacting even all the people that you most love and care about that you feel you need to be responsible to um so i think it all comes down to choice you know for me it was about flipping what was most important to me and you know money was not most important to me and being big in the world was not most important to me or being recognized or getting approval or being part of a club of you know a certain type of people that stuff just wasn't important to me and it it sort of was a gradual process i think we all have something called the big and special program that's kind of running in the background where somehow we want to be big and special and i when i sort of shone a spotlight on that I realized actually there were things that were much more important to me. One of them was traveling, one of them was just seeing and being part of the world. One of them was giving back and actually having a job that had much more meaning than, you know, money attached to it. So in the end it all comes down to what's in first place. You know, what's in first place and you know, a lot of the times people will say, "Well, putting yourself in first place is rather selfish." You know, which is another thing we've all been conditioned to mm-hmm. think that it's it's the wrong thing. And yet you know who and what you are is is who and what you offer the world and it's who and what you offer your job your partner your kids and everything so how can that not be in first place well and it sounds like the way you measured success changed sure very much so i think to me you know i was conditioned and brought up to believe that success was what you do success is what you have success is in things success is, is an external measurement and as you know i mean by the age of 30 i'd gotten a little bit of that and the more external success i got the more internally unsuccessful unhappy and empty i felt which is a, not a pleasant place to be at in any way and i wouldn't wish it on anyone but unfortunately some of the people i've interviewed along the, the years have all sort of agreed that you know the 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 internal peace that you're looking for the ability to finally rest the ability to you know feel like your life is worthwhile is not a direct proportion to the big job or the big check or anything it actually very often has nothing to do with that and so it was a, you know it was probably one of the hardest decisions i've ever made was to leave the world and the conventional view of success and make something else more important because i had no trophies in sight there was nothing else that would sort of had my name on it you know and i sort of was like well i guess the unknown getting comfortable with the unknown is one of the best things you can do because you know f- for people who are looking for more spiritual way of living life the unknown is grace the unknown is god the unknown is faith and yet we cling to the known and we cling <laughs> to being safe and we want things to stay the same so i think allowing the unknown in and realizing that you know It's only in the moments of uncertainty that the greatest things have happened to you, the people you've met, the things that have come your way. So that was a big part of my redefinition of success. And the other one, very briefly, was that I went from it being a me, 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 me world, where it was about my body and my boyfriend and my apartment and my job and me, 
to being much more about what can I give, what can I serve, you know, how can I be part of something and serve my fellow beings? Because when you suffer, it's usually because the energy is directed towards you. Me, 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 me. This is what happened to me. And the quickest way to turn that around is to actually start having the energy go back outwards. And to give. Um, this is Karen Motokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It. My guest today is Ariane de Bonvoisin. She's the author of The First 30 Days, and there's also a website, first30days.com. So, Ariane, you talk about the trapeze, right? And, and a lot of times when people, um, I think sometimes the scary thing is, is that letting go of one rod before you go to the other. Did you have a safety net when you went for the trapeze? Good question. You know, and I love the question of safety because I think if you feel safe in the world, your life will completely change. And so I talk a lot about safety when I do talks and retreats because most people don't feel safe in the world. And I I ask people, what makes you feel safe? And the number one thing is people say my family. And the reality is when you put your safety on your family and your family changes in some way, whether it's through divorce, whether it's through death, whether it's through moving, whether it's through loss of any kind, Suddenly you don't feel safe again. You know, money, we've all gone through moments of not feeling safe around money. It's my job. Most people, at some point, you know, you might lose your job. So the question of, well, what is worth putting my safety in can only be something internal and can only be something that is permanent and that you can control, which is why, for me, the going, going within has become my safety net because I take that with me no matter where I am. I, I have an ability to reconnect with that no matter what's going on in my outside life. But it's not in anything external. It's not in money, it's not in people, it's not in, because knowing what I know about change, the biggest moments of suffering are when one of those external pieces change. Mm-hmm. So, so you have to find your safety in something else, which is why I'm such a believer in you know, finding moments to go inside realize that you're not necessarily this body that has this job that has this name that has this partner There's something else going on so my safety net i wouldn't say i had a strong sense of it when i left i think at some level you know god was urging me on and pushing me on because my soul was dying in that old job and in the relationship that i was in and at some point i think my intention was so strong to find what was right for my life that at some point God steps in, life steps in, you know, and it can appear quite brutal. But when you believe that, you know, life is on your side, God has your back, even though the relationship might go or the job might go or some money might go or something might happen, if you actually have this, what I call the life belief that no matter what, <laughs> you know, God's on my side, I live in a friendly world, um, you'll get through it. You won't fight it. And what's on the other side is, is nothing like you imagined. So can you give us an example of something that you went through that when you were s- sitting there, you didn't quite know how you were going to get through it? Sure. I, um, I was engaged to a guy. Um, you know, he was considered one of the top guys to get in New York. He was featured in People magazines, top 20 bachelors. And, and I did not know whether it was the right decision to move forward with that relationship or not. And I think whether, you know, it's the should I divorce or should I not? Should I get married or should I not? You know, it's a similar type question because the number one thing that shows up to the party is fear with a very
very big capital F. There's not going to be any more men or relationships. There's not going to be anyone else that loves me. Um, I'm never going to be in a relationship again. Uh, maybe it's just my stuff and my fears. And that fear story can get so strong, it can lead you in a very different decision and direction for your life. So I remember getting down on my hands and knees and just going, God, I am so confused. I have no idea what decision to make. My mind is so spinning me into the basement. I'm facing all my gorillas. I actually don't know what to do. Please show me the way. Please show me the way. Please show me the way that a five-year-old would know what to do. <laughs> because a five-year-old needs to be able to say yes or no. And, you know, most people don't do that because they don't really want to know. So when you actually invite God, invite energy, invite life, whatever you want to call it, into a decision, be very prepared that something will be revealed and changed. The reality is a lot of us don't actually ask. And the actual asking, you know, metaphorically you can get on your knees. That just means humbly asking because you're at the end of your resources and your mind doesn't know the answer to a question. So that was my way. And I have to tell you, within a couple of weeks, any five-year-old would have known what to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I did eventually broke up. And, you know, the mind can sort of go, oh, it's a long decision and what if and futurizing and the future scenario and... You know, the next few years have been nothing like the mind imagines. Because, you know, as you and I were saying, the mind tricks you into believing that it actually can predict the future. But the mind is not a future machine. The mind is a past machine. The mind can only look at the past. So anything to do with the future, you're going to have to hang your hat on something else. I love that. The mind tricks you into believing it's a future machine. (laughs) Because that just also points to the ridiculousness that when we start to project out there, oh, well, I, you know, I should stay at my job or because it's safe when people are getting laid off or I should, you know, stay in this relationship. And some of it's also the conditioning, though, too, isn't it? It's like, well, he's been in People's Magazine. He's considered one of the top 20 bachelors. I'd be foolish not to marry him. Of course. You know, I mean, our whole life is conditioning. Here's the type of job we should be in. Here's the religion we should still be in because we were born into it. Here's where we should live. Here's how we It's all conditioning, you know, and coming back to what does it mean to really live spiritually, it's just to start questioning, you know. Why do I do that? Why do I believe that? Why do I think I should do this, say this? It's a different type of questioning, you know. A lot of times people think, well, spirituality is about doing all these things, meditation and wearing white and not drinking wine uh-huh. and eating raw foods and licking crystals and everything else that the spiritual path has been has been described as. And, you know, the most spiritual people I know don't do any of that stuff, but they live very differently. They live with an awareness. They live with questions. They live with self-inquiry. They live with being responsible. They live from the heart. It's a heart game. It's not a mind game. At the end of the day, it's all a heart game. And the heart, as long as you're here and still on the planet, the heart is actually always on and always able to help you. And yet we have been, the worst conditioning is we have been conditioned to believe that the mind is the number one place to go believe, think from, and make our most important decisions from. And the truth is, the heart is the number one place to make the decisions from. Where you go to college, what you study, who you marry, if it's time for a relationship to be over. Anything to do with children and parenting, it's a heart game. Your body and your heart will never let you go wrong, and sometimes it is not the way that your mind wants it. (laughs) 
Well, because your mind has been conditioned. It's been programmed for years and years and years. But the conditioning is also that you can't change the mind. And that's a terrible conditioning because the reality is, you know, the last 10, 15 years of my journey has been about really looking very deeply at the mind and looking at all the programs that are running the mind. You know, there's three dominant programs that run the mind. The need for love and approval, the need for control and having things sort of stay in a certain controlled way and the need for safety. And every single thing that triggers you, upsets you or brings up fear one of those programs has been activated. They run on your desktop 24-7. And then there's sub-programs. There's the perfection program. There's the I'm not good enough program. There's the I'm guilty program. There's, there's the I'm not worthy program. And so when all these programs are running your mind, the fact that you might even think that your mind knows best, it, it's dirty. <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's a, at a place now where you need to go, well, why do I need love and approval? Why do I need to stay in control? Why do I disapprove of myself so many times? That's, that's cleaning up the mind. Do you ever feel unworthy? You know, I wouldn't say that I do. I think with the level of, I just have such a knowing that I'm, I'm part of the divine plan. I'm... I just, I don't feel lonely, I don't feel alone, I, I just feel this sense of this energy and presence is with me at all times. Do I feel sometimes the world is a hard place, and this is a tough planet to be on, and this is a hard school to be graduating from? Very, yes, absolutely. But that's very different than me having a story that I'm unworthy or not good enough. Mm-hmm. There's been times where I'm like, God, I don't really want to be on this planet. It's a hard planet to be on. It's a hard school. You know, and I think what what's important is you coming up with your definition of why you're even here. Because most people have never even asked themselves that question. So when you find a little bit of a, a point to it all, it actually becomes much easier to be here. You know, if the point is to to love and to grow and to learn, Okay, well, then everything gets filtered through those three things. What can I learn from this? How is this making me grow? But if, if life is pointless, anything that comes your way is going to feel like, you know, a huge disadvantage or something unlucky. If you, you know, to me, my, my definition of what it means to, to be in the world, to live spiritually is to, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it'd be as simple as just remove anything that is non-loving, any non-loving thoughts, feelings, actions, behaviors towards yourself and other people. It's not this big elaborate program of what spiritual people do. <laughs> it's, a, it's a being game. It's not a doing game. Mm-hmm. It's how you're being in the world. It's not you, I go do my spiritual practice over here, I've done yoga, and now I'm going to my job. You know, there's no such thing as spiritual life in the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. There's only life. It's all there's of you. Only life. There's one way of you being at all times. Mm-hmm. It's all of you, and you carry that. T- it's not you have these t- separate compartments. It's just who you are, and you just show up authentically all the time. Exactly. Yeah. No, because I used to think a long time ago, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, that would you know, if you did that spiritual thing, you'd have these flowing dresses and... Um, you know, did things by incense or candlelight and, and, uh, um, 
what I'm taking from you and the way I choose to live is that it's about me connecting with myself and practicing that in, in tuning in and, um, and, sh- and showing up with, with who I am. And, and I do, I question things a lot about the conditioning that have, you know, I've gone through cause right. I, I was that conditioning. Oh, be a really good girl, get, do really well in school, go to this level of success and you will be happy type of thing. And when I got to that level of success, I thought, well, I'm still not happy, you know, and why is that? And where does happiness come from? Um, so for, so I think in spirituality and what I've come to realize is that I can be the athlete that I was, right? And I could still have that spiritual sense because a lot of times there'd be a division. Well, if you're not this type of person, I guess that's how I saw it. And, um, and it's just about who we are as people. Completely. And, you know, this might be a good time for me to mention my, what my next book is about. So the next book is called A Foot in Both Worlds. And it's about how can you walk a spiritual path, whatever that definition is for you, and fully be in the world where it's not an either or. And I think one of the conditions is, well, either you're spiritual or you're ambitious. Mm-hmm. Either you're poor and spiritual or you have plenty of money because unfortunately a lot of people think spiritual people and poverty are twins, mm-hmm. you know, and they certainly don't have to be. I know plenty of people that would certainly not fit that. So you don't have to be vegetarian and spiritual. I know a lot of people who think that. Mm-hmm. So it's about, a lot of the times it's about questioning, well, well, is that sort of true for me? What is true for me? I think we all have our unique path up the mountain. I can tell you my path up the spiritual mountain, but it will not be yours and not be anyone else's. Because I think what you need to learn is different from what I need to learn. So I think a lot of the times looking at what the mind is feeding us, I mean, the worst thing the mind does is um, disapproval. You know, the average person disapproves of themselves between 30 and 40 times a day. That's crazy. I mean, it's the worst drug we feed ourselves. It's not food. It's disapproval. Unfortunately, you know, because we disapprove of ourselves so much, then it's linked to food. And on top of that, a lot of us have bad eating habits. I certainly did for years. But even just looking at how many times your mind disapproves of you in some way, even just that is a massive step in being able to grow and 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 get more in touch with your, your spiritual essence, because your spiritual essence is perfect, it is whole, it is complete. If you mess up, you see, you see the innocence in it. You don't see this bad person or this person that's messed up or is unworthy or not good enough. You just see the innocence of it. You, you were doing the best you could at that time. Mm-hmm. And self-disapproval is the opposite of living spiritually, because living spiritually is about wholeness and compl- com- you know, completion, perfection. And, and coming from the heart. And there's nothing coming from the heart that spells disapproval. Mm-hmm. Well, when we go into that disapproval place, too, don't we? aren't we ignniting fear? Of course. They're very, I would say they're very linked together. Because the disapproval has its place small again. Mm-hmm. The disapproval has us put blocks and excuses and reasons. Excuses why we can't get divorced. Excuses why we can't travel. Excuses why we can't go pursue our dreams. When the reality is there's people all around us that actually had the exact same excuse going on, and somehow they found something that was bigger than their excuse, or bigger than the story of what was going to happen. 
Okay, well, so let's talk about money because that's that's a big excuse, right? I can't pursue my dream because can't do it. Don't have the money. What do you say to that? You know, I would say that there are more startups in the United States that are started with less than $200. There's an amazing book coming out called The $100 Startup. So again, it's a conditioning of mind where, you know, starting a business it costs money. I encourage most people to start pursuing their dreams in the current job that they're at. It's not an either or. It's not I've got to throw it all out, and get off the ladder and never make money again and go pursue my dreams. No, not really. I know plenty of people who work on a little dream at night, on the weekends. They're, they're doing something else that's actually sort of reigniting them and inspiring them. But money is, money is not what makes dreams happen. Emotional fuel, drive, ambition, enthusiasm, energy, getting other people inspired to work with you who might have the money. The reason why you want to pursue a dream is why the company happens. It's not because you, you have hundreds of thousands of dollars that a dream happens. You know, it's, it's not about what to do. It's about who am I being and, and what's in the way. That isn't so much more important. I know people who've started, you know, things out of their living room with two children. So it's a lot about, well, well who are you focusing on? What are you surrounding yourself with? I... I have an e-book that I wrote a couple of years ago called Pursuing Your Dreams and Leaving a Job You Hate. And I interviewed a couple hundred people who, and some were at you know, Microsoft, and some had three children, and some their wife was pregnant. And, and you know they all had a little bit of the story going on, but they also knew that the cost of them not pursuing their dream was much more than the money that they would leave on the table. Uh-huh. And again, it's sort of, well... What's, what is most important? A lot of the times people don't pursue their dream because someone's going to disapprove. Mm-hmm. Their spouse, their parents, someone's going to disapprove. Or it's not my nature. You know, it, it wasn't my nature to go from being a venture capitalist to a self-help spiritual author. <laughs> Believe me, it wasn't my nature. I was told I was a business person all my life. I was stamped with an MBA. Uh-huh. But there's something within that's just that's loud, that just gets loud, if you allow it to get loud. And it takes, it takes the leap of faith, it takes courage, it takes, it's the hero's journey. And sometimes staying in something that you know isn't right, whether it's because of money or responsibility or whatever other reason, you don't feel that heroic. You feel kind of bland. Your life is kind of blah. Your life has no meaning. It's sort of like, really? Is life really about the mundaneness of just doing this all the time? And that's a tremendous cost for your life. And that doesn't change. Eventually it might change because of a health diagnosis or life might just go, I'm, inter- I'm going to interfere here because, <laughs> because something needs to happen. But you've been getting the message all along, especially through your intuition. And the amazing thing I find, Corinne, is if you have an idea that honestly is not a selfish idea, I'm going to go do it for me. If you have an idea that in any way serves the world, helps other people, has some message of positive healing, contribution, giving back, you know, whether it's through jewelry, whether it's through journals, whether it's through books, whether it's through, you know, a restaurant, whether it's through anything. But if there's some service component, I promise you, money and power moves through people who serve. 
It does all the time. But it's got to be it's got to be genuine. You can't trick the universe. You can't trick people. It, people will smell it on you. It's this level of transparent authenticity that you're not doing this for you. You're doing this because there's something bigger. There's a bigger cause. There's a bigger purpose. There's a bigger mission. You will attract the money, the power, the people like you have no idea. You know, and, and I think that's important, that message, because how can you be of service? You know, Viktor Frankl says that uh, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, there's, there's a, it's about finding meaning in life. That's kind of our purpose here. Sure. And you have three ways of doing it, through a loving relationship, um, being, being of service, or going through tremendous struggle. And, and I, the way I look at it, I don't box it into just one of those, and I don't think he meant to either. But it's, you know, one of the things that I've realized in my own transformation is how can I be of service? How can I help people? And, um, and it's, it's always amazing, even on the show where, you know, I'll, I'll do these interviews and then somebody just from out of the blue will say, you know, from all over the world, they'll, they'll send me an email and say, thank you so much. Your shows have just really helped me. I listen, I've listened to all of them over the past year, you know, and Beautiful. they've affected me or they're teachers and they're like, your show has helped me so that I can go and t- be a teacher. And, um, and, and so, and that's always, you're like, wow, because to be able to help somebody, I think, is, is just so profound. And that really touches me. Sure. And, Karen, what I would say to that, exactly to your point, you know, to, to help someone or to relieve any form of suffering in someone's life is probably the greatest contribution you can make to people. And everyone's had a feeling of doing it. It doesn't cost anything. And also, you know, not in any way to sort of compare your show or... or you don't need a big, beautiful show like your show to feel like you are and your life is in mm-hmm. service. I mean, I, I walk out the door and I say, my love and serve my fellow human beings in any possible way today. And I'm not doing a show. I'm not going to be on TV. I'm not in any possible way. And then I watch what life does with me. And it puts me next to someone who needs to talk, and I don't shut them down or be impatient with them that is a way of serving them or it puts me in a conversation which is heated and I choose to be loving and still and not argumentative I you know choose to serve them by sending them a positive quote because someone's going through a tough time or I remember that someone's got a big meeting on today and I check in with them you know service is such a small and simple and humble and beautiful thing it's not I need to go work at a charity and volunteer more <laughs> and do a big, big thing. Mm-hmm. It's in the smallest gestures. You know, there's a beautiful quote. I'm going to get it wrong, but it's like it's in the small gestures that, the, that thunder happens in the spiritual heaven. It's not in the big things. And I just feel it at the end of the day. It was just, oh, it was nice that I did this today. And it's just, it's a personal thing. You don't need to tell anyone. You don't need to it's it's sort of a it's an inner thing you, you know who you showed up to be today and it can be in a job that's challenging right now it can be with your boss it can be validating someone you know with with real sincerity and 2011 12 acts finalists will be selected to compete during a final performance on saturday december 3rd 2011 register early as the number of audition slots are limited you can go to the Community uh, Service Department website. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It. My guest today is Ariane de Bonvoisin, 
and she is the author of First 30 Days, and we are talking about spiritual spiritual living in the real world. So, Ariane, when you talk about um, self-inquiry, can you say a little bit more about what that is? Sure. So, self-inquiry, another way of saying it is also doing a, a certain amount of self-responsibility. When something's happening, it's very easy to sort of go, oh, it's my dad or it's my mother or it's my boyfriend or my husband or my child, and to sort of have the, not blame energy, but very often it is blame energy, sort of go outwards. And the invitation really, which is more of a spiritual path, is to go inwards and just to be fascinated by, okay, what's happening here? Why am I reacting this way? Why am I being so triggered by my parent or my spouse? What am I feeling? What is, what's the feeling that's up for me? Is it anger? Is it guilt? Is it frustration? Is it being misunderstood? What's the feeling that's coming up for me? Not what's going on with my mother or what she's telling me for the 50th time. What's the button that's being pushed for me? Why is that button there? Why is that button still there? If I didn't have anger running in my laptop, i.e. my body, someone else could not make me angry. If I feel like everyone blames me, I'm a magnet for attracting people to blame me. But if I don't feel anyone blames me, no one's going to blame me. (laughs) Can you say that again for the people to hear that? So a lot of the times I, I, I tell people, let's say, you know, your mother's making you feel guilty about something, which is a classic example. If you do not have guilt running in your mind, on your desktop, in your life, if guilt is not what's present within you, no one can make you feel guilty. So your mother can press the guilt button all she wants, but she's not going to find the button because you have cleared out your guilt. So if, if, if guilt is not within you, no one can make you feel guilty. If you believe that you are made to feel guilty all the time, your boss makes you feel guilty, your mother makes you feel guilty, your kids make you feel guilty, you are a beacon, you are a magnet for people making you feel guilty. Not because God is twisted and wants to make you feel more guilty, because God wants you to move through and see how much guilt is currently within the being called you that needs to be let go of. Because when you clean up the guilt program, as an example, magically, people around you will suddenly not make you feel guilty anymore. (laughs) It's an amazing thing. And you can do it with anything. So when I talk about self-inquiry, what are the programs that are so dominant? I have this rage coming up. Where's the rage? Why is it there? Why is the button called rage there? How long has it been there? When was it installed? So you kind of shine a light inwards. You don't try and go, I wish my husband would X, Y, Z. I wish my eldest son would whatever. You just sort of go, okay, what's here for me? Where is it in the body? What story am I believing about this other person on the outside that so desperately needs to change in my mind? So self-inquiry is just, it's a shining the spotlight inwards, not because you're responsible or because, you know, they don't have their share of responsibility, just because it's something you can do, you can control, and when you do it, it's amazing how quickly you feel better. What, what's, what's happening? What's going on right now in this situation? Why am I so triggered? What's, what's showing up for me? And the other thing I would say, it's very important with self-inquiry is 
to stay with an open question. You don't have to come up with the answer. In our culture, it's not okay <clears throat> to say, I don't know. So just stay with the open question. So if you were, for example, working on sadness, why am I so sad? You know, sadness, we've never been allowed to be sad. And so a lot of us feel sad and anxious, and we're never given permission to fully feel our feelings. So I'm a big believer in really allowing yourself to feel your feelings because people are ha who are happier have much more of an emotional range, mm -hmm. much more of an emotional range. But they allow the feeling to be fully there, fully come up, and then it leaves because all emotions want to leave. But the other set of group of people, which I've certainly been in that category many times, is we don't want to feel the feeling, we'll do anything to avoid having to feel it, we'll eat it away, we'll facebook it away we'll watch a tv away but no way am i feeling the feeling of being sad being angry being whatever it is that's coming up so we've got to give ourselves permission to to be sad and to and to grieve and to be frustrated like there's such power in feeling those emotions there's it's very weak not to feel them it's an escape so what about the people that feel that sadness and can't get out of it and they continue to feel sad. That's when I would, I would absolutely say that it's not about the feeling that's not going. It's about the story you have mm -hmm. about why you're so sad. And it's about the story appearing as if it's fixed and permanent. Because the sad feeling is not there all the time. The story and the mind and the belief of it never changing, never getting better, poor me, I'm a victim, I'm still mm -hmm. a victim, that's what is permanent for them. But it's not the feeling of sadness. The feeling of sadness will never overwhelm someone. The story will run your life. So ask yourself, what is the story that keeps showing up attached to the feeling called sadness? Write the story down and question it. Is this true? Is it true that this will never change? Is it true that I really was a victim? I had absolutely no role and no part to play in why this happened. Is it true that, you know, my life is now at the end of anything positive that could happen. Is that really true? So just sit the mind down on a chair and question it. And if you really get down to it, you will see that a lot of what the mind wants you to believe and the story that you're so hooked on is actually not a true story. So self-inquiry is looking at what are all the stories running? I have a, you know, I have a story about my weight. I have a story about my age. I have a story about my work. I have a story about my parents. I have a story about why my parents got divorced. I have a story about men. I have a story about America. I have a story about God. I have a story about every religion. But, you know, you either get your stories, and that creates a certain kind of life, or you get a life based on, I'm going to question, I'm going to inquire, I'm going to be responsible, I'm going to choose what stories I still keep within me that are actually serving me. Well, and that's, I think that's the key because it becomes a choice. Which stories do I want to keep and which stories do I not want to keep? Because we don't have to believe all the stories. Yeah. And, you know, our plate is so full of stories. There's no space for a new story. If you have a story about men and how men are, there is no space for a new story or a new type of story about a type of man that might be waiting to show up in your life. I've, I might have said this before on the show. I had a real story about there not being any single great guys in New York City. And I had this story for years, Corinne. 
mm-hmm. and I had lots of evidence and proof to back up my story. And a lot of my girlfriends backed up my story and had the same story. And at some point, a very good friend of mine said to me, Ariane, I'm so bored with your story. You've said it so many times, I can't stand it anymore. You're, it's, I, 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 no, never again. I never want to hear that story come out of your mouth. And it was very hurtful at the time because I wanted her to get in the hole, be compassionate, be upset with me. You know, she was married. And, and she didn't do that. But a great friend doesn't always get in the hole. A great friend kind of goes, okay, listen, I keep hearing you telling me the same story about the boyfriend, about the husband, about why you lost your job, about why you can't lose the weight. Enough with the story. That's a great friend. Because... It's just a story that you have in the mind, but it's also an excuse. It's what's keeping you stuck. And if you don't know your story, ask any of your friends. I promise you they will tell you your story. And so then you just go through and you ask, is this true? You question the story, right? You question the story and you make a commitment to yourself. You know, part of growing is making very strong commitments to yourself and saying, I have a strong story about why I was fired. I'm going to choose to never say that story again. And so when people say, oh, why did you lose your job? You said, you know, it was time. Um, I guess, you know, the universe works in different ways. And in many ways, it's allowing me to find something I really love. Mm-hmm. And then watch what that kind of commitment makes. Now you've set the intention to find something you really love. And the mind, whatever you focus on in the mind, is what is manifesting on the outside. So if you're not focused on not why you got fired, why you're a victim, why it's a terrible thing, why, 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 if you're now focused on actually what you want, that is the direction you're going to go in. And you are fully capable of making the decision to stop telling a story of why someone cheated on you. Drop the story. The biggest love of your life might be around the corner if you drop the story. Mm-hmm. And it might be the biggest blessing that they dropped, that they cheated on you. But you won't be able to see the blessing if you're still focused on why it was such a, a bad turn of events. And Ariane, you said you can, with the self-inquiry, you can ask questions, but you don't have to answer them? What I'm saying is sometimes you can sit with a question. And the, a question could be, you know, what's worth doing with this life? Now, you're not going to be in a Starbucks and in one cup of coffee to <laughs> kind of come up with the answer. <laughs> Darn. So, so that's what I'm saying. It's like, just sit with it and just saying, okay, what is so mundane in my life that I gradually need to start removing? And just go about your day, your week, your month, and your year. And you will, because now you've asked the question, mm-hmm. the mind, thank God, will answer any question eventually. It doesn't know that that's actually a really positive question. Mm-hmm. But it'll find ways, and you will start seeing signs and clues, and other people might you know, show things to you that are then going to be answering that question. So if some of these bigger questions, I would say just stay with an open question. It's okay not to know instantly. Um, you know, what turns the heart on? What would really inspire me? Um, what is the most important thing I'm looking for in a partner? And just sit with it. Don't kind of go, he has to be fit or he has to have a job or like the mind's going to want to answer it very quickly because the mind doesn't like staying with an open question. Just stay with it. Just stay, as I said, there's tremendous magic and power in the 
in the uncertain, unknown, you know, the Egyptians, it's one of my favorite things, the Egyptians call it the hallway. So in some ways you've left one world, you've left one level of consciousness, which could be a job, it could be a relationship, it could be where you live, it could be how you view the world or how you even think about God. And you're in the hallway. And when you're in the hallway, you are always going towards a new door and a new higher level of consciousness. That's what the Egyptians believed. And for them, when you were in the hallway, it was a great, great place to be. And in our society, being in the hallway is a very bad place to be. (laughs) You've either got to rush back to where you were, which unfortunately a lot of people do, or you've got to like be super impatient and not allow the heart, the mind, the soul to be cleansed, to be healed, to be revealed, so that you really can go into the next doorway that is ready and waiting for you. You know, just developing a little sense of patience <laughs> is a huge part of the spiritual path. Why the rush? <laughs> You're asking, Why can't we rest? You're asking Americans for patience? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was born in America. I have an American passport. I'm just as American. Because we want overnight success. Of course. Because <laughs> then we'll but be the happy. The amazing thing is, if you rest for however long, you might get overnight success. And working as hard and being as busy and being as unhappy very rarely brings that success. That's why so few of us feel any form of success, whatever your definition is. But rest is so important and giving myself permission to rest and rest is not only physical rest rest is emotional rest rest is rest is not you know spinning the same stuff all the time about who you are where your life is at i'm talking about that kind of rest as well well and isn't when you ask like i always talk about asking the great but the better question because then that helps you get out of your story right when you when you when, when you ask that question and you don't have the immediate answer, at least your mind starts to go, okay, well, what is it that I want in a relationship? Or what is it that I want from a job? Or how can I be a service? And you start to now, you open up your eyes to see those windows of possibility. And you're letting go of the story of, oh, well, there's no men. Yeah. Or, oh, I'm so fat, nobody likes me. You know? And it's like, well, ask the different question. Don't you think that helps change the story? huge i mean i'm uh, one of my favorite questions is can i allow myself to be positive in this moment regardless of what's going on and i just do whatever i can to at least try and get positive in some way because a lot of us feel very justified to be upset to be angry and you know i mean i've had i've had big arguments with people who go but this happened to me i know this happened to you And this is the terrible thing. I know. And in some ways, they want validation for how negative they're feeling. And my hope is to be a bridge as to, well, are you telling me this because you want to keep feeling negative? (laughs) Are you telling me this because you want to in some way start feeling differently? Because no one's telling you you've got to stop feeling negatively. Go right ahead. (laughs) If you want to choose that. Well, but I used to think, Ariane, that when I was angry, I was powerful, you know, and I know sometimes the clients that I'm working with, they're like, but I'm, I'm more powerful when I'm angry. And I, what I've realized now is that I'm more powerful when I'm centered in me. It doesn't mean that I have to agree with what is happening or what somebody says. 
I used to, you know, but I'm not, I'm actually much stronger from a loving place than from an angry place. Sure. And I would say no emotions are bad. You know, I would, every religious text around the world would say that no emotions are actually intrinsically bad. We make something like anger bad. But anger can be a massive fuel for change. Massive. It fueled Mandela. It fueled Gandhi. It fueled Mother Teresa. There was anger, if you read all their autobiographies. Mm-hmm. But it was an anger that was c- channeled in a positive way. Mm-hmm. So don't push anger down. I'm an angry person. I'm a bad person. Anger can be tremendous fuel for change if you actually let it transform itself into that. Well, as y- can sadness, as can depression, as can any of the emotions. All emotions are your friends if you realize what's behind the message of the emotion. That, and again, that's a question. What's behind the message of me being angry here? So let me get let me see if I understand this correctly. Is that because um, you're you're saying, and I don't believe in dimming down emotions because if you dim down your sadness or your anger, you dim down your potential for happiness and joy. So, but what you're saying is that okay, you have this anger, but then funnel it because I don't recall Nelson Mandela, you know, coming out and attacking people, but he used that anger to funnel his mission. And so Mandela will say there were plenty of times where anger was really up for him. But the thing I would say is it's very different saying I am angry versus anger is really up for me. Anger is, anger is what is the feeling that's present right now. I mean, for me, when I wake up in the morning, it's very different for me to say I'm anxious versus I have anxiety right now in the body. I can deal with the second one very easily, but I am anxious actually kind of overwhelms me. Mm-hmm. Actually, just having some anxiety that's up, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I have some anger that's up, not necessarily a bad thing. It's very different when you start labeling or thinking yourself as I'm an angry person. That's a, that's a hard statement to move out from. Absolutely. So just see the emotion for what it is. It's not who you are. It's not taking over your consciousness and your higher self. It's just an emotion that's moving through the body. And ask yourself, okay, if anger was something positive for me right now, what would its message be? And I promise you it'll answer it. Set boundaries. Go to the gym. Stop smoking. Uh, change this. You know, sit and meditate instead of spending two hours on Facebook. Like the anger, because a lot of the times the anger is actually directed towards yourself. But the willingness and capability of seeing, well, what's, even b- behind the, oh, my God, this is about me, it's all about blame and blah, blah, blah. No, 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 not at all. What is it that's actually trying to be communicated to you through your higher self? And in this stage, your higher self is communicating through an emotion. Well, Ariane, I really want to thank you for coming back again today. It's been great talking with you. It's always a pleasure, Karen. I'm, uh, I love your questions. I love just the informality of a conversation. And it's, you know, we managed to get to deep stuff and hopefully helpful stuff. Well, thank you very much. This is Karen Motokaitis and How She Really Does It. My guest today is Ariane de Bonvoisin, and she's the founder of First30Days.com.